Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Tara. Hi, Janine. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, honestly, I'm feeling a little cooped up in my house with all of this, you know, self-isolation and work from home. Has that been your experience? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the house is a disaster. Um, getting my kid to be entertained with adults only is a problem. And, uh, yeah, I had a client call me the other day and then ask me, how are you enjoying working from home? And like, I mean, my kid's comedic timing is just spot on. So like I have a three-year-old, so not really working out all that well. And then in the background, like screaming, she's like, Rama! so yeah, we're, we're going to get through it. <laughs> yeah. I definitely feel for all the parents out there that their kids aren't old enough to kind of you know, self-manage or manage to an extent where they only need like adult intervention once every hour or two, because that's a huge burden on parents if they're trying to work. And let's be honest, most of us do work full time. Yeah. And I mean, if you don't want to just sit them right in front of the TV, you basically have to, um, you know, have a whole lesson plan every night. And then for my kids particular age group it's you know a matter of are they even going to be uh receptive to that lesson plan and i mean i didn't go to school for that so it's it's a challenge yeah i think that's what a lot of people are finding like we're not teachers right we weren't we weren't trained in this at all nope (laughs) but i wanted to chat today about uh the financial support that's actually available for canadians and albertans i know we kind of talked a few episodes ago about what the impact to your finances could be and that we were kind of guessing obviously at that point what the long-term effects would be but I thought it would be good to kind of go through what's available. Mm -hmm. Yeah sure. So the first one I wanted to start with is there is now an emergency isolation support. The government of Alberta has put out um, a one-time payment of $1,146 to help Uh, bridge the gap between the rollout of that federal program that was also announced. And I believe the federal program is $2,000 a month if you are affected by COVID in terms of your health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's what I've heard. And I think uh, this is a, a great thing that I guess Albertans can apply for, obviously, if they've been diagnosed with COVID or caring for someone who is self isolating. So I think that's another you know, big differentiator to draw to is sometimes when we think about taking care of an elderly person that might have of this virus, we might not think that um, we would be eligible for it. And so I think it's important to know that that is obviously available. And also, if you are being directed to self-isolate and you can't work, then you're also available for, or you're also allowed and eligible to apply for that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think of, you know, this, the emergency isolation support and, you know, the Trudeau government coming out with this, um, you know, $2,000 a month for, I think it's maybe what, four months? Is that what they said? I think it's four months. Yeah. 
Um, I saw some gaps. Like, I guess we'll start with the Alberta one because it's the first one that you mentioned. I saw some pretty big gaps there um, for people who are self-employed, for instance, um, or who have lost all forms of childcare. So we have, unless you're a uh, medical professional, you've lost your childcare or school. Now to qualify for the emergency support, you have to be the sole caregiver of a dependent who is self-isolating. So there's nothing for folks who are trying to work. Hopefully they can work from home at least. Um, but if they can't, like, I just don't know where are your kids going? So that's, I, I find a gap for parents. The other gap I find uh, for self-employed people is if you're experiencing a significant loss of, loss of income as a result of having to self-isolate, but what if it's not you that's self-isolating? What if it's your clients? So for instance, we had to cancel our cleaning service. Um, we recently returned from the States. It didn't seem wise to continue our cleaning service. Now with all of these social distancing policies, it still doesn't seem wise to continue with our cleaning service. And there's nothing for that business to um, be able to, there's not, no way for them to like recoup their losses through this kind of program. So I think that's my personal relationship with that one. But I think that we'll find a lot of self-employed folks will lose clients from this, like photographers, like those kind of things where you need like person to person interaction. So I think there's a gap there. If you've, did you see any gaps that struck you when this was first released on the Alberta side of things? I mean, yeah, I was definitely thinking about the self-employed people. Like I was thinking about photographers actually specifically because I do know quite a few of them just with obviously weddings being canceled. And I know a lot of photographers mm -hmm. that is kind of their bread and butter coming into the spring and summer months and they charge, you know, a decent amount, but that's, you know, how they feed their families. And I don't know if $2,000 a month, a month cuts it even, I guess now I'm talking about the federal program but when you think of like wedding season if that's let's say you have a cyclical business your your money months are what april to september here in this province so i guess that's maybe what i see the the gap being two thousand dollars a month is not very much money um yeah and i i do think i can't remember where i saw this but i thought the federal one was available to self-employed people I think it's available to self-employed people, but only if you are quarantining yourself. So only if you have reason to self-isolate. So the federal program is available to self-employed people, but I believe it's only if you are self-quarantining or self-isolating. So it would be, you know, if you went onto the, the AHS self-assessment tool and found that it said, okay, you should self-isolate. You may have been exposed to somebody with COVID or maybe you're in line for testing, that kind of thing, right? Or if you have tested positive. Um, but I don't really see anything in the way that it's been rolled out that it's for loss uh, from like a client perspective because the businesses you serve, if your business to business have had to close um, or if projects have been delayed or if like in the, in terms of like photographers where your clients are not uh, like able to even do the event in which you were supposed to provide services for. So I think that's a gap, right? Because 
you're not losing income because you have have COVID or could have COVID. You're losing income because the entire economy is shutting down because of COVID. Yeah. And obviously larger businesses can weather this a bit more than small businesses or sole proprietorships. Um, I think it's a weird, weird time. And we've obviously not seen something like this where businesses, like even if you think back to the 2008 recession, like stores weren't closed, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not like you couldn't go to a restaurant where that's kind of the situation we're in now. Like you still could have weddings. Maybe people just charged less. Whereas Mm -hmm. now I think they've said no weddings, no funerals. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's pretty wild. And I, yeah, I don't know. $2,000 a month does not seem like an amount that would cut it. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it cuts it. And I think that highlights um, the regular sort of social support payments that we have. So I'm thinking like AISH or CPP disability, um, even CPP general uh, or OAS, because I guess that wouldn't be um, determined based on your contributions or anything like that to the programs. Are we offering those folks enough to live day to day? Are our current social supports reflective of the cost of living for our society? And is that fair? So I think that highlights it as well, because if we're thinking $2,000 a month isn't enough for most folks to get through this pandemic, why are we asking people who are reliant on these social programs day to day, regardless of pandemic, to live off of less? Yeah, it's pretty wild. And I, my hope, obviously, at, at the end of all of this is that we really take a good hard look at our social programs and make some positive change, because I think there needs to be change and we need to, like you said, reevaluate if, if we can't get through on $2,000 a month, why would someone else be able to? Yeah. So with regards to these programs, like um, how often have you heard, how can we pay for it? Like, how are we going to pay for this? Oh my God. So much. Really? Okay. I've seen a few people on Twitter be like, well, maybe not as much as other social programs we've talked about in the past like I guess comparing it to you know things that have been brought up before people were more likely to be like how are we going to pay for this where I think you know now people are kind of just more so obviously there's still some people but more so expecting that the government helps through this pandemic Mm -hmm. well and I think it's like how I think I've I've heard it less because of the type of people that it's affecting. So like, I feel like you get it all the time when we talk about should everyone in Canada have access to clean water? Because when you frame what Indigenous communities are going through in that light, that's what you're saying. And you're saying, well, how can we pay for it? When you're like, this person needs AISH because they are severely disabled and can't work to the same um, capacity as a uh, another individual um, without those needs, um, we're saying, well, how can we possibly fund those folks? So as soon as it affects a larger population, we see that we've been doing like a huge, huge disservice to those communities because I haven't heard it as much. I really haven't heard it as much. I want to stop you there and just ask the question, do you think we don't hear it as much because there's men being affected? Like I'm even thinking, you know, childcare 
when we talk about, you know, $25 a day daycare that the Notley government Im implemented, or even taking it one step further and providing, you know, free childcare. It, I hear that question all the time, how are we going to pay for it? And mm -hmm. I think that stems from the fact that traditionally, you know, females do take care of the children at home. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder too, if it's also because, you know, corporate, I guess, Canada is laying off people and both men and women are being affected now. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely part of it. I think we're seeing like uh, a variety of privileged individuals that never had to think about social benefits are now having to think about accessing social benefits. And it might be more men, well, it's definitely more men um, than we usually see. And it's more white men than we usually see, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly think that's part of it. Um, and I think another thing is it, is that with everything that the Bank of Canada has tried to do and everything like that, the argument of how do we pay for this becomes uh, not valid really quick. You know what I mean? The only one that I've heard that it doesn't hold water, but the only one I heard that I, I can feel takes hold at this particular point in time is that we should then take that very cheap money and then put it into businesses where we would see a return on that. Um, so for instance, this is in support of the oil and gas bailout that might be forthcoming. Um, but that being said, like, I think that is short-sighted as well, because then we're just looking at like, okay, well, if we take money from the government and then we put it into oil and gas, we can see the returns on that maybe. Um, from a certain perspective on the next quarter's financials, right? But if we take money from the government and then we invest it into the, the citizens of Canada, be it through um, access to water, childcare services, um, access to a steady income where you are unable to work for self-isolation or the downstream effects of someone else self-isolating, um, you then have to look at kind of the aggregate of businesses, right? And I feel like it's just a lazy argument at this point to say there are no downstream positive outcomes of just supporting every single citizen. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I don't know how we can say like people being, you know, evicted or not being able to afford food is okay at this point. Yeah. Oh, the eviction thing though. So I am all for like a freeze on rent, freeze of evictions, uh, freeze on mortgages, all of those kind of things, because we're in a very hard time right now. But for all of Kenny's soapbox thing about like being there for the mom and pops and that kind of thing, the way it was rolled out, you're not actually supporting the mom and pops. So let's say yeah, a big company like Boardwalk should be able to figure this out, right? And those folks that aren't able to pay their rent because they're basically temporarily laid off or their, their hours have been uh, cut to the point that they effectively can't afford housing anymore, um, hopefully temporarily, they should be able to weather that. We see that they're like a, a million dollar profitable organization, right? But if you look at the mom and pops who are providing... Um, rental housing, and this might be their only rental unit, it might be um, the basement in their house, like all of those kind of things. 
if they are already stretched thin to the point where their rental income is just covering their expenses of that, and let's say that um, they can't defer their mortgage for some reason, or which I feel like is probably not a great argument right now, but let's assume that their condo fees are high enough and their um, utilities are high enough that whatever they're getting in from rent is just enough to like cover it and they already have a full-time job and all of those kind of things. Kenny didn't actually give anything to Albertas in that Albertans in that very specific mom and pop situation. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed to see that because that's basically why he said he wasn't going to do it in the first place. Right. So I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't really get what the government's doing right now. To a certain degree. I mean, all we can hope is that they're not done rolling out measures. I'm sure this will change as the weeks go on, but going back to kind of what you said, there is actually, you know, another benefit to talk about is, I guess, I don't know if we should call it a benefit, but there's the ability to defer your mortgage for six months. And there's also the ability to uh, defer your utilities in this province um, for the next 90 days. So mm -hmm. residents, I'm just reading here, can apply to defer their electricity and natural gas bills for the next 90 days. And um, this will, uh, I guess this is for Albertans who are experiencing financial hardships as a direct result of COVID-19, lost income, layoffs, or leaving to care for sick family members. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, Agreed. I I don't have as many problems with the rollout on that because I think it was pretty well done. But when we look at the complexities of the way that they've ro rolled out these emergency measures, we know that basically like everything is shutting down. Social distancing does not work with the current consumer economy as we know it, right? We have so many people that are affected. Like, is this the easiest, most cost-effective way to get the however many billion dollars I think it is at this point that we've tried to then get into the hands of Albertans and Canadians. I feel like a easier way to do this would have just been emergency universal basic income if you want to have it emergency only or emergency basic income and just figure this out at tax time next year. Just figure it out. Give everybody this, give everybody money, just give everybody money and then deal with it at tax time. Like then yeah. the people who don't need it, then they just pay it back later, put a moratorium on rent, mortgages, utilities, all of the things, give money to those companies, financial institutions, landlords, all that good stuff to cover their expenses in the short term. And yeah, the bigger companies will be able to weather it, but then you're supporting the little ones. Just, just give people money and just like, let's just get through this and be done. Well, so the thing I worry about with people deferring their utility payments and their mortgage payments is I don't know if we know what this is going to look like when the deferral is up. So are, are the utility companies going to be able to ask you to repay, you know, more than one month of utilities at a time? Is there going to be late fees when you defer your mortgage by six months? What does that mean? What does the interest calculation do to that? Like, I, and I, I realize that it's it's a new program and this is unprecedented times, but that's where I agree with you. I think a universal basic income would allow people to continue to pay their mortgages and pay their utilities and then not have to, I guess, wait to deal with it in the future where there's a potential for 
some, I guess, negative consequences to even credit scores. We don't know how this is going to affect credit scores, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it shouldn't affect credit scores. Um, I honestly don't even know how it could unless you then don't repay what could be a lump sum payment. So when you're deferring, pardon me, when you're deferring any sort of loan or line of credit or mortgage or anything like that, the interest is still accruing. It's just like when you get your credit card bill and they say, you don't have to pay us a minimum. They're still charging you interest. They just don't want you to pay them that month. So it's a deferral. It's not waiving your mortgage payments. So anything I would assume, I I don't know. I haven't asked each financial institution, but I would assume if you're deferring your loan or utilities, you are adding that to the principal of your loan. So this month, if you skip it, you're going to add the, what you should have paid in principal and what you should have paid into interest. You're just kicking it down the road. That's all you're doing. I would assume that the utility companies would do the same, whether or not they're going to want that in a full lump sum payment, or they're going to want to uh, try and work out a payment plan to like recover that over a few months. I don't know, but I I don't see why they wouldn't. I think it's impossible to know until we get to the other side of this pandemic. And I really hope that they are flexible in working with Canadians because I could see that being a huge um, detriment to people's finances if now they're having to cough up thousands of dollars. Yeah. Well, I think it shows the fractures in our system as well, because even if you have a a tenant that's going to defer their rents or something like that, depending on the landlord or the landlord as a company rather than an individual, are they going to expect that in a lump sum? Like, how are they going to recover that? Do we have a framework in terms of laws or uh, is there going to be something added to the Landlord Tenant Act to avoid that kind of thing? Because that once this eviction freeze is over, that could be immediate eviction for non-payment. Right. I don't assume that any landlord is going to keep somebody in their unit um, for free. Again, like it's just yeah, it's just like when we had the conversation about the the changes to uh, healthcare billing codes. I don't expect anyone to work and provide services out of altruism. Exactly. Yeah, you can't expect that. You have to have a framework that sets up incentives that protect the most vulnerable people in your society or what are you doing? Yeah. So moving along, um, student loans is another area that the government, both federally and provincially, are focusing on. So from an Alberta standpoint, student loans can... um, Student loan payments are being paused for six months with no interest accumulating during that period. And I believe the Canadian um, student loans are exactly the same where they have six months uh, free interest and the payments are being paused until September 30th with no accrual of interest. It's just, Mm -hmm. that is good, I think. I think that's the the best application. I think of all the emergency uh, fundings that we've seen and and everything like that, um, I think that's the best one. Yeah, no, I, I'm pretty uh, impressed with that one. Um, I think it's really great that, obviously, I feel like students that have just graduated and are still paying back their student loans are in a position where uh, they potentially could be the first ones on the chopping block 
to get laid off. So I think it's important that we um, take care of those individuals. Yeah, for sure. Now there is here the ability to um, increase the child care benefit from a federal perspective. So what I'm reading is the um, benefit is being increased by $300 per child per year. And this is actually the first I'm reading about this and there's not a ton of information. So I'm wondering if you've heard anything about this. I don't have a lot of information on this one either. And I was actually going to ask you, so the, the CCB, you get it after you filed taxes. So what you're getting in 2020 is based off of 2019. So if you haven't filed yet, are you even eligible for this? Because we're also kicking the filing thing down the road as well, right? Yeah, so it's, it's the filing is now June 30th or June 1st, sorry. Um, so I was actually curious about that as well. And I think this would be a, a reason to make sure that you are getting your, your tax return filed. I'm not sure if they'll just... I'm not sure if they will extend what has been done in previous years and apply it to 2020, or mm -hmm. if you still need to file that return before you start to receive those benefits. Yeah, again, I think that more clarity with this, if you had said, you know, if you haven't filed yet, we're just gonna give you blanket $300. If they had said, if you haven't filed, we're just gonna continue to give you your CCB for the months of January, February, March, um, based on your 2019 filing or 2018 filing, I should say. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I just feel like this is complicated and it adds barriers to access for vulnerable people. Like it adds barriers yeah. and just just don't. Like just make it easy for people. Just well, make it easy. that's not the thing that's on most people's mind, especially if you're in a vulnerable situation, like, oh, I better file my tax return. Yeah. And it's like people who are using the CCB to get from uh, month to month who are actually using this for bill payments and food and that kind of thing. I don't know if we expect that, that those are the kind of people that are even filing their own returns necessarily, right? It might be going like, to H&R Block and I feel like that's probably closed. Well, exactly, right? I feel like that's probably closed as well. And I'm not going to ask a parent who relies on CCB to now go invest in a laptop and TurboTax. I mean, and then we have to think about, okay, well, how much is their internet bill as well? And are they paying? Like, it just doesn't look at it from a vulnerable person's perspective. So again, a lot of this looks really good on paper, but in terms of implementation, who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for your mass voters or are you doing it to protect vulnerable Canadians? Yeah, I mean, you can't expect that everyone has um, a laptop just sitting at home or a home computer. There are a lot of people that use like public services like the library, which is closed, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. go ahead and do some of that stuff or they will go to like a clinic to get their tax return filed for free. I know when I was at the U of A, um, they put that on for low-income individuals to come in and, you know, the students would help them file their tax returns so they could be eligible for those benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and now we see the post-secondaries are shut down. Uh, yep. I, am at, I don't know H&R Block, but I imagine those kind of in-person places are. The libraries are definitely closed. So just what are these people who are already poor doing? Yeah, or they don't have the, I guess, aptitude to even know where to begin on taxes. I mean, it's not like we're taught it in school. 
No, exactly. Right. And, um, you know, and, and do they even have the time? I mean, I, as uh, a working parent in a dual income household now, not having access to childcare and, and struggling, and I'm in a pretty privileged position. I honestly can't imagine having to then try to figure out how to file my taxes for the first time, maybe even on paper if I don't have access to a computer. Now the Service Canada in-persons are shut down as well. So, I mean, where are these people even going for resources at this point in time to access this kind of stuff? Yeah. And, you know, moving on from that and taking it one step further, there is a a new uh, one-time special payment for GST uh, for low-income families, which is increasing it um, another $400 for individuals and $600 for couples. But GST is also driven by filing your tax return. Yeah. And I mean, I can only hope that these folks filed early, but let's think that maybe their uh, employer, if they have an employer, um, didn't get them their T4 until February 27th. Because we have, the employer has until the end of February to to give this to these people. When did we get shut down? Like, I want to say the 13th of March. Yeah. You expect poor people to have received maybe in some cases, multiple T4s, got them all together, figured it out, visited an accountant when God knows how many jobs these poor people have. And then to have that all said and done by March 13th, why are we limiting access to funds for, for vulnerable persons? I just don't get it. We don't have this much red tape when we give out bailouts. That's true. And I'm just reading a little bit further here since I have the documentation up in front of me. It says the CRA encourages individuals who expect to receive benefits under the GST or the CCB not to delay the filing of their return to ensure these entitlements um, are properly determined. So CRA, it basically sounds like CRA expects you to still file by April 30th. Yeah, I I figure. Um, And you know, from a high level, they're like, well, why couldn't you? Because you're looking at it from a very privileged perspective. Like just ask, like, just ask one of the people that lives off social benefits, how are you accessing it? Like, just, I don't know, get stats can out there or something and figure it out and figure out what is the best method to actually provide these services to Canadians. Otherwise it's just marketing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I really do think that we need to be working with the financial institutions to almost be like, all right, we're, we're depositing, you know, $2,000 into everyone's bank account or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, making sure that those, those populations that you talked about have access to that as well, regardless of whether they're able to file their tax return on time. Yeah. And I think hopefully once this passes, we can look and see, you know, is it wise to be operating under a system where we don't have access to information for every single Canadian? So great if we could provide direct deposit, but you'd probably have to go to my CRA first, right? It's not as though the government has access to this. Um, You know, uh, what about folks that don't have bank accounts? What about folks that don't have social uh, uh, yeah, social insurance numbers? Um, These people exist and these people are still citizens and residents of our communities. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a privacy aspect there, but I'm pretty sure if we can get around, you know, iPhone terms and conditions, we can get around this to ensure that if another pandemic occurs or just 
basic service to get um, social security measures to folks in need that that we we take a hit on the privacy front for this yeah i would agree with you on that one for sure yeah i never thought i would say that by the way (laughs) this has changed my mind a lot for sure well it's i mean like i said it's unprecedented times right like people we had no idea this was coming and no idea the magnitude i think of what this has done to be honest Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the last area I kind of wanted to talk about was the small businesses, because there's been a couple measures that were introduced. The first, obviously, is businesses have the ability to defer their um, taxes as well till August 31st. And the payment um, of those taxes on or before September 2020. So again, I guess giving small businesses a little bit of relief there. But what's interesting also is the temporary wage subsidy. So there is a wage subsidy right now that is equal to 10% of the uh, compensation paid during this specific period up to $1,375 per employee or $25,000 per employer. But as of Friday, they actually announced that there was going to be a new measure in place for covering up to 75% of small business owners, um, employees' wages, but we haven't seen any further details on that front. Yeah, I mean, that one's tough. You know, I think it's in everybody's best interest to keep employees on payroll. We know that it would be more costly for the small businesses to then rehire. But when you think about this only works for an already profitable small business. It only works for a business that still is continuing to see streams of revenue. Um, I don't anticipate that this will... um, in in sort of a, a wide and, and broad way, reduce the number of people on EI, unfortunately. Because it, I'm just thinking, if you're a restaurant, right, we know the, the margins for restaurants are quite slim. Um, mm-hmm. They have uh, a lot of employees, right? Um, they're pretty service heavy, so then they're pretty people heavy. <sighs> to provide uh, the the next 25% of most of your staff's wages when your business has to be shuttered for, for social distancing to be effective. Ooh, I still think you're asking businesses and you're incentivizing some small businesses to put profit over people. I do. Yeah, I think it works for some businesses. Like you said, that do you still have revenue streams, but it doesn't work for businesses that aren't operational right now. Like online businesses, I'm assuming you still have, you know, staff that are working. Maybe you're seeing a decrease in revenue, but it's not, um, you know, to the full extent, but it also doesn't necessarily address uh, not-for-profits who always are told obviously to not make a profit and break even where we're not seeing obviously any funding from donors there or, you know, again, there's a lot of programming and education things that not-for-profits do. Obviously, those programs, unless we're moving them to online, which if they haven't been set up, it's it's not super quick to be able to do that. I think they're seeing, again, like you said, those decreases in revenue. How do you pay your people, right? How do you cover that 25% of the wage? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I think hopefully small business owners continue to speak up and advocate for their employees. Hopefully employees continue to advocate for themselves, but I think we're going to have to see a pretty open and respectful dialogue between the citizens of Canada and our elected officials. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because well, yeah. there is also the ability to lay people off for 60 days where they would qualify for that COVID relief, uh, $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And then you can hire them back after 60 days without having to pay them any severance. So yeah. there's that option. And I've also seen the fact, obviously, we kind of talked about this at the beginning a little bit, but funding from financial institutions is available at, you know, all time low rates. I mean, isn't it have mm-hmm. the, the government or not the government, the Bank of Canada has what cut the rate three times since this? Oh yeah, three times. They say the over the overnight's at 0.5%. They say that's where it's going to stay, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, we'll see how long this lasts. And I mean, it depends how well we do this um, in terms of social, social distancing um, and in terms of giving the medical professionals and researchers the, the amount of time that they need to deal with this to prevent death um, and also to figure out a vaccine or a better way of dealing with this, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't even know if 60 days is enough. Are we too late for 60 days? Do we need 90? Um, because didn't like Wuhan province needed 62 days, I think. And they went full shut down and stopped. Tra- like they got on top of this way faster than we did. I mean, I remember having a conversation with you when we um, interviewed Dr. Ted's in February and like, it was not a thing in North America. Um, and it should have been. It really should have been. Yeah, I am. I was talking to my husband. I am a little disappointed that a bigger deal wasn't made out of this earlier because I think it was inevitable that it was obviously coming here and was, and I don't know if it's, they just didn't have the information from China or, or what it was, but I think our response was a little too late. Obviously we're not as bad as the U S but 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 even still, you know, if there's a way to to protect people, I feel like that's the government's job. That's why we've hired them, right? Um, the the information out of China that I've seen, it was lacking. I mean, they are they are who they are in terms of government, right? Um, so they were a bit slow in like disseminating the information to everyone else. But I think when Wuhan province got shut down. And then we realized like people were still coming in and out of this and uh, wealthy people were still, you know, flying jets over there and talking to their folks and doctors were saying that this is highly contagious and we don't know what it is. Um, I would have hoped that our elected officials could have focused on that and not so much, you know, framing uh, the blockades as they did because that was right around the same time. That's true. Yeah. It is interesting for sure how the world has kind of dealt with this. And I feel like there was a bit of a, uh, a lack of response in a lot of countries. So hopefully we learn from our mistakes because I, I do see obviously this lasting for a while. And I think there will be more pandemics in the future that will shut down our economy. And I think we 
need a better way to deal with this. There needs to be a plan in place for how quickly we respond and what the financial assistance to Canadians is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I have on the economic kind of update from a personal finance side of things. If you are struggling financially, hopefully you can leverage one or many of these programs. I'd encourage anyone who is struggling financially to be open and honest with your financial institutions. And I I did also hear, I guess, that the government is trying to get credit card companies to lower their their rates as well. So hopefully that's coming soon. Um, But please, everyone, I guess, stay safe, wash your hands and, you know, social distance as much as you can. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to share your money story using the hashtag FemFinances.